Welcome, inquisitive podcast listeners. Alastair here. You've found your way to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. Be it the simplest rap against a tree or a wholesale changing of one's entire existence, superstitions occupy the middle ground between mythology and psychology. I'm here to dig into their origins and tell you a story showing why these superstitions keep so many people in their thrall. Three sevens in a line on the slot machine. Looks like you've hit the jackpot. Good news, since this week's superstition is all about the number seven. Close your eyes and pick your lucky number. Statistically speaking, that number is probably seven. Seventh heaven, seven deadly sins, 007, seven days in a week, seven wonders of the world, seven dwarves, seven samurai, the number is everywhere. But why is it considered lucky? And why are humans so drawn to it? Is it something about our brain chemistry? Or is there something magical in the number? No better day than 7-7 to find out. So find yourself a spot at the craps table and blow on the dice. Everybody's looking at you, hoping it comes up seven. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. In a moment, a young man discovers his lucky number. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Seven has been an important number to humans for thousands of years. Some scholars trace its significance back to the origins of the Babylonian calendar. The Babylonians set their calendar to the cycle of the moon, which was roughly 28 days. Broken into quarters, they created the seven-day week as we know it. Ironically, the Babylonians didn't consider seven to be a noteworthy number. That was 60. In Judeo-Christian beliefs, seven is a perfect number of completion. The number opens the Bible. It took God six days to make the universe, and on the seventh, he rested. It continues to show up throughout and ends with the book of Revelation, which features seven trumpets, seven angels, and seven seals on the Holy Scroll. All told, variations of the number seven are mentioned over 700 times, which is far more press than even Satan gets in the good book. But it's more than just a perfect number in Christianity. For instance, in Japan, there are the seven lucky gods. So what is it about this number that makes it so universally compelling? Mathematicians suggest that humans are drawn to prime numbers, and numbers between 1 and 10 in particular. In survey after survey, approximately 10% of the population declares 7 to be their favorite number, by far the largest of any number. 
It's like the human mind is innately drawn to the number seven. And as we've learned on this show, the human mind is also hardwired to see patterns, which means that if you go looking for a number, you'll probably find it. Stephen stared blankly out the window of his best friend's car. They had been driving for hours, and the only thing they had seen since they left the city was corn. It seemed crazy that people would drive this far from society just to gamble. But addicts were weak people, he surmised. They needed a quick fix. Stephen began to do the math in his head. Had they booked flights to Vegas instead, they could have gotten to the airport 45 minutes early plenty of time to get through security in their Midwestern city and made it to the Strip by now. Not that Stephen wanted to go to Vegas. Stephen didn't gamble, and it's not like his teacher's salary left him with much disposable income. But at least Vegas was a destination. The Dueling Rivers Casino was not anyone's idea of a destination. Anyone other than Stephen's best friend, JP. JP loved anything weird and kitschy, and he loved to gamble. He insisted that they go to the Dueling Rivers Casino for his bachelor party. It sounded like an addict's cry for help. Stephen had long anticipated a desperate phone call from JP from some dilapidated dog track begging for money. He'd have a heart-to-heart -heart with his friend when that day came. Until then, he would entertain his friend's downward spiral. Just as he was about to grumble about the ride, Stephen caught a glimmer of flashing neon lights rising out of the cornfield. It looked like aliens had plucked the most visually offensive hotel from the strip and planted down in the middle of Indiana. Neon reds and yellows lit up the towering building. Spotlights searched the sky. A giant arching sign featuring two sparkling golden pistols beckoned from the top. Dueling Rivers Casino Resort. Stephen was aghast. That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. JP cackled with delight. <laughs> I know. Just wait until you get inside. Stephen's jaw dropped as they crossed the threshold. Despite having never set foot inside a casino before, it looked exactly like he imagined. And yet, somehow, it was also so much worse. Swirling, multicolor carpets stretched as far as the eye could see. The ceiling was adorned with Old West-style swirls of molding. All the cocktail waitresses were dressed like saloon girls, the dealers like bankers. It all felt very childish. A bank of obnoxious slot machines stood like garish sentries, adorned with long-dead sitcom stars and buxom vikings. An LED screen overhead displayed the image of a cowboy magician. He was pulling a rabbit out of a ten-gallon hat. Stephen read the accompanying text. Tonight only, the magnificent Carl. Wow, you weren't kidding. JP slapped his friend on the shoulder. I would never lie to you. Soak it in. Stephen had no choice. Who 
are these people, he wondered, gawking at the realtors and off-the-clock farmers wearing wire-bearers and boat shoes. He physically recoiled watching an elderly woman dump penny after penny into an ancient slot machine. She didn't look like she had too many to spare. This was unlike any vacation he'd ever taken before. Most of his family holidays were either mission trips to faraway countries or camping in the mountains. Dueling rivers was more foreign to him than any remote jungle. The doors whooshed open behind him. Stephen glanced over his shoulder. It was the rest of the bachelor party. A wave of high fives and bear hugs rolled over him as the group headed straight for the poker room. But Stephen stood stock still. Instinctively, his hand went for his wallet, mentally counting out the 420s that rested inside. Just enough to play a couple of hands with his friends before he retired early. He wasn't even sure if he would gamble at all. He had never had the desire to, but now? When in Rome, right? He whispered to JP, What do I do first? What's the best bet? JP took Stephen by the arm and walked him toward the slots. Past the Vikings and the dead celebrities, JP pointed to an older digital machine. It wasn't as flashy as the others, designed to look like a one-arm bandit-style slot machine. Ah! Miner's Delight. She's a good one to start with. Just slide a 20 in, play as long as you like. Stephen began to sweat. But I don't want to waste a 20 on a slot machine. JP smiled. It's a quarter slot. Just press the cash out button when you're done. I'll be at the craps table when you do. Stephen sat down in front of Miner's Delight and slid a 20 in. The machine whizzed to life. It reminded Stephen of the arcade cabinets of his youth. His palms began to sweat. Stephen reached up and pulled down on the handle. He couldn't help but smile as the wheels spun in front of him. Seven. Seven. Two sevens, just like his birthday, July 7th. Sevens are good, right? Stephen shouted in the vague direction of his friend. Seven. The machine squealed like a fire engine on cocaine. Stephen leaped up from his seat. Lights blinked. A cartoon miner jumped onto the screen. Stephen eyed the money catcher, but no coins came out. A message popped up across the miner's wide grin. Take ticket. $377.33 Stephen's jaw dropped as he stared at the three sevens lined up on the machine. It was odd, but all he could think about were his Sunday school lessons. Seven, just like the laps Joshua walked around Jericho. He had never considered himself to be a superstitious man. He prided himself on being rational and frugal, but he knew people thought sevens were lucky. Friends were always pointing out the significance of his birthday, saying he had been born with a lucky number. He'd never considered that they might be right. Stephen snatched the ticket from the slot machine and cashed out, running toward the cage. He felt a wave of exhilaration flood his body. Maybe he did like this casino after all. Stephen traded in his ticket, found a celebratory drink, 
a 7 and 7, just in case, and made his way over to the craps table. Stephen swooped into the spot next to JP. He nudged his friend and flashed his roll. JP's face lit up. Look at you! Jump in, you'll be the next roller. Stephen's newfound confidence took a hit. He leaned toward JP. I don't know how to play craps. JP scoffed. <laughs> Nobody does. Trade a hundred for chips and put one down on the pass line. All you need to know, first roll, seven's good. If you roll anything else, seven's bad. Stephen smiled. Sevens again. This was going to be his game. He flagged down a cocktail waitress who looked like Lucille Ball and ordered another drink. The stick man shoved five sets of dice towards Stephen. On the ends, they showed a five and a two. Seven. Stephen snatched those up, gave the dice a quick shake, and tossed them. Seven! The stick man shouted. JP excitedly slapped Stephen's shoulder. He's a natural! A smile spread across Stephen's face. He wasn't like the others in this casino. He had a lucky number. He had a system. He wasn't gambling. He was investing. He picked the dice back up and rolled again. Seven! The stick man couldn't hide his excitement. Lucille Ball Cocktail Waitress brought the seven and seven to Stephen. He took a big swig as he looked around at all the excited faces, all seven of them. Stephen felt like he was going to float off the ground. Chips flooded the table. Stephen followed suit and threw the dice again. His eyes followed the cubes as they elegantly tumbled down the felt, bouncing off the end. They arched high into the air. Stephen was worried that they were going to land in the drink of an astute-looking elderly man, but they didn't. Face up on the table was a four and a three. The roar of the crowd became deafening. Stephen couldn't take his eyes off the four. Four white dots inside a sea of crimson. Something from his childhood triggered in his mind. Fours are bad. They meant death in Chinese. It was the only thing he remembered from that mission trip to Taiwan. Stephen didn't want to roll again, but a crowd had gathered around now. All eyes were on him. Stephen shook the feeling off. It was still a seven. It was still his number. He shook the dice and had to roll again. Coming up, Stephen presses his luck. The CIA. They're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public, and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? 
Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Stephen had always looked down on gamblers. Their superstitions seemed silly to him, but now he was seeing sevens everywhere at the Dueling Rivers Casino. He had just rolled three sevens in a row after hitting three sevens on the slot machine. Threes and sevens. Good. Prime numbers popping up again and again. Once he saw the four, though, he began to question everything. Fours were bad. But he couldn't simply walk away after his third roll on the craps table. He had to go again. He was hot. The table was counting on him. Stephen let the dice roll. The dice banked off the far end of the table. There was no high, arching bounce this time. The dice took sharp, violent cuts in opposite directions. Two. Good roll. The stickman politely pulled in the dice as the other old-timey banker scooped up everyone's chips. JP congratulated his buddy on his hot roll, but Stephen wasn't paying attention. He knew that fourth roll was going to be death. Four and death are the same word in Chinese if he remembered correctly. He took his chips and stepped away from the table. Stephen sucked down the last of his seven and seven. He shoved the chips in his pocket and quickly flagged down Lucille Ball cocktail waitress. Lucille winked at him. Seven and seven, right? Oh, look at all those chips. Somebody is doing well. Stephen held out his empty glass. The next drink would be his third. The number of the Holy Trinity, the number that showed up on his first winnings, it all added up. Lucille quickly returned with his drink. Stephen drank half of it in one gulp. He could feel his luck coming back to him. Stephen walked past the bar shaped like a giant horseshoe. He counted the tables as he passed. Whatever the seventh one was, that would be the table for him. One, two, three. He walked toward the back of the casino. Four, five. The lights seemed dimmer in this section. Or maybe he was just getting drunk. Stephen wasn't too sure. Six and seven. Stephen pulled to a stop. The seventh table on the seventh row. The dealer curled his pencil-thin moustache into a smile and gave Stephen a wink. You a blackjack man? The dealer called out. Blackjack meant 21. Three times seven. Maybe craps wasn't his game. Blackjack, though, now that had to be his game. It was a high-stakes table, but he couldn't pass it up. The sevens had brought him here. Stephen smiled wide as he leaned in to read the dealer's name tag. Yes, Doug, I am a blackjack man. He sat down in the middle, the third seat from the left. Stephen anted up and ordered two more drinks. He wasn't going to get stuck on four again. Going straight to five seemed better. Halfway between three and seven, another prime number. That had to be the right call. The mustachioed dealer dealt the cards. A smirk spread across his face. An ace and a seven looked back at him from the table. That would make 18. 
That's six threes, and seven was right there. Of course he couldn't hit. Why would he? This was perfect. Stephen tripled his bet. Why not? The waitress dropped off another seven and seven. Stephen beamed at the sight of her. Lucy, I've got a system, you know. Just follow my lucky number. Seven. He could see Lucille doing her best not to laugh at him. <laughs> How original. Stephen doubled down. I know it's everybody's number, but it's special for me. There's even seven letters in my name. My birthday is July 7th. I was born for sevens. Lucille smiled politely. Whatever works. She did a quick spin. Stephen didn't care what a cocktail waitress thought. He knew. He turned back to the table as dealer Doug flipped over his own cards. An ace and a two. He hit. The next card was a four. Stephen took a drink and smiled. The dealer hit again, revealing another four. Dealer Doug took no delight as he shouted, 21. In a flash, Stephen's money was gone. Something had gone wrong. Stephen squeezed the chips in his hand. It was a third of the size it had been at the craps table. Where did all his money go? A nice, elderly woman tapped Dealer Doug on the shoulder. Doug's time was up. The light seemed to be brighter all of a sudden. Stephen narrowed his eyes as he tried to focus on her name tag. E-L-E-A-N-O-R. Seven letters. Stephen's mind raced. One pull of the slot, four rolls of the dice, one hand of blackjack. This next hand would be his seventh. Stephen laughed and put down his ante. He owed it to the system to try one more. He couldn't pass up a seven. Eleanor popped her knuckles. She flopped his first card down, a jack. Then another jack. Stephen took a breath. 20 was a hell of a hand. Eleanor leaned in slightly. You want to split those jacks? Stephen panicked. Split the jacks? Two hands? That would mean I'd be off seven. Stephen's eyes shot around the table. Eleanor stared at him. It felt like the entire casino was watching him now. The pit boss, a man with no neck and an uncomfortable smile, moved behind Eleanor. She grinned, awaiting a response. Stephen shook his head. He was staying on 20. Eleanor flopped her cards down. Ace, king. Eleanor frowned. Shoot, that's blackjack. Stephen had to go. His system had gone sideways, though he wasn't sure how. He needed to find JP and regroup. Stephen took his chips and stood up. He wasn't sure where he was. The carpet was the same. The crown molding was the same. The uniforms were the same. But he couldn't find the horseshoe bar anywhere. The aisles of tables seemed to sprawl out in every direction. He downed his drink. It seemed to be full. Had he ordered another? Maybe the waitress just brought him another. Was that six? Stephen fumbled for his phone. Four percent. Did he not charge it in the car? How long had he been at this table? The phone died in his hand. He forgot to check the time. 
Stephen stumbled through the casino table after empty table. The lights were dim. Was the casino closing? Did casinos close? Stephen couldn't catch his breath. He was desperate to know what time it was, to find JP, to find out where he was. Air. I need air. Stephen screamed to no one in the now empty casino. He took a hard left down a hallway without the multicolored 90s arcade carpet. The neon lighting was gone, giving way to the familiar yellow fluorescent of a nondescript hallway, not dissimilar from the high school where he worked. The hallway was empty, save for one steel door at the end with a red glowing sign above. Exit. Stephen threw open the door and stepped out into the darkness. He sucked in the cool night air, in and out, calming. Stephen straightened up. Nothing but miles and miles of corn as far as the eye could see. He smiled. It was nice to be back in boring old Indiana. A group cheering shocked Stephen from his respite. He looked to his left. Far down the backside of the casino, underneath the white glow of a floodlight, was a small group of people. They were all hunched over something, shouting at the ground. A loud, regal voice rang out above them all. Come on, varmint, you got this! Number one, baby, number one! Stephen inched closer, curiosity guiding him forward. One of them clapped. The rest threw their heads back in disgust. The loud, regal voice called out once again, Ta-da! Number one! Stephen was almost to the group. A tall, ten-gallon cowboy hat stood upright at the center. Stephen recognized him. It was the magnificent Carl, the cowboy magician from the banner out front. The magnificent Carl took a long pull of a cigar and pointed... You're not supposed to be here. The others all turned around. He knew almost all of them. The Lucille Ball cocktail waitress. Dealer Doug. Eleanor. No neck pit boss seemed to be running the game, whatever the game was. Lucille Ball blew the magnificent Carl's smoke away from her face. Seven and seven. Oh, he's fine, Carl. Hey, kid, you want to get in on some real action? She looked around at the group. When no objection came, she waved for Stephen to get closer. The crowd parted. Stephen looked to the ground. In the middle of the crowd, there appeared to be a large, round structure made from cardboard, like one of his students made a diorama of the Colosseum. Along the edges of the arena were tiny cardboard boxes. They each had a round doorway cut out in the front and a number on the top, 1 through 14. Stephen smiled wide. Fourteen was two sevens. He pulled out the rest of his money. This would be his redemption. I'm in. So, what is it? The no-neck pit boss held out a black and white gerbil in his hand. Lucille Ball gave Stephen a wink. It's gerbil roulette. Put your money down and pick a number. If the gerbil goes to your box, the pot is yours. Stephen chuckled. He pulled out the rest of his money. In that case, I'm all in. Number seven. 
The magnificent Carl gasped and held onto his cowboy hat as if it was going to blow off from shock. Everyone dropped their bets onto the ground. Stephen eyed the pile of money. The pit boss lowered the gerbil down into the arena. Stephen watched, his hair standing on end as the gerbil sniffed in a circle. Slowly, its tiny legs began to scurry. Stephen held his breath. The gerbil inched toward door four and took a hard right. The gerbil broke out into a sprint right for number seven. The gerbil disappeared into the box. The collective groan of the others was music to Stephen's ears. He reached down and snatched up all the money. His grin stretched ear to ear. He shoved the cash into his pocket and took a step back. The system did work. Eleanor grabbed Stephen's arm. For an old lady, she had a vice-like grip. Where do you think you're going with our money? The magnificent Carl shoved the cigar in his mouth and made a steel pipe appear from thin air. This little punk is trying to rob us. Stephen stumbled backward. He fell to the ground. He looked to Lucille for help, but her lips were curled in a snarl. I say we just dump him in the corn. Ain't nobody going to be looking for this one. Stephen tried to scramble to his feet, but the pit boss pressed a foot into his fingers. Stephen could hear Carl slapping the pipe against his hand. Hold him still. Stephen squeezed his eyes shut. Maybe he wasn't so lucky after all. Stephen wasn't sure how long he'd been out when he heard a door swing open. He shook his head groggily. His body felt like he'd been hit by a car. One of his eyes was swollen shut. He forced the other open and looked up. JP stood in the doorway. Stephen scrambled to his feet and ran toward his friend. JP wrapped his arms around Stephen. Where have you been? What are you doing back here? Stephen checked his pockets. All his money was gone. Through his swollen jaw, he eked out, I had them beat. The magic cowboy, Lucy, dealer Doug. They cheated me. I had a system. JP pulled his friend to his feet. Come on, Steve. There are no systems. The house always wins. Stephen smirked. JP was wrong. Even if the gang had beat him up, he'd won his last game. He could win again. He just had to hit the ATM first. Experts can't agree on the origin of the belief that the number seven is lucky. But there is one theory that everyone seems to accept. Our brains are hardwired to the number. Seven is not just the most likely number to appear when rolling two dice. It happens to be the exact number of things our brain can store in short-term memory. It's why phone numbers are seven digits long. There doesn't have to be a cultural connection carrying the number between ancient Babylon and Japan because the human brain is the same regardless of the region. Seven is lucky everywhere because seven is what we remember. The human brain is also hardwired to seek out and solve patterns. And when we see something incomplete, our brain finds ways to make the connection. 
It's what makes a human see a shadowy mountain range on Mars and turn it into a face. Or see an upside-down V in the Samsung logo and know it's an A. Creating puzzles out of thin air keeps our brains active and engaged. And in a way, superstitions serve the same purpose. By finding patterns and connections, they give our brains something to do and provide a sense of control in scenarios where we have little. But when we begin to mistake coincidences and coping mechanisms for signs, we can trap ourselves in a maze of our own making. So enjoy your good luck while it's there, but try not to overthink it. Remember, the house doesn't have a lucky number and they always win. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Alex Button, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Superstitions was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. 